Hi, and welcome to another episode of the UX Research Rundown podcast. My name is Henrik Matson. I am the CEO of Lookback and your host for this show. Uh, in this series, uh, we are talking about what I think is the most interesting and pressing challenge facing our industry and community today, which is how do we get the broader kind of non-researcher team along on the journey that is research? How do we get people to engage with the work we do and use all of those fantastic insights um, in their work and perhaps even contribute to insights and stuff like that? So we've been talking to a bunch of super uh, experienced and uh, interesting people from all different kinds of uh, companies, etc. And today is no exception. We're talking with Avra Martin, who is at ServiceNow. And actually, we talked a little bit before. Um, I'm not even going to try to kind of introduce your background. I think it's uh, it's it's best if you explain it yourself, this whole kind of journey that you're on. And I also know there's been some recent exciting developments. So I'll just jump straight in and ask you to kind of give us your origin story. Like, how did you get into this? Where are you now? And where is it going? Uh, thank you, Henrik. And thank you for having me on your season one of uh, your, you, is it UX research? Rundown. Rundown. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you for having me. Um, a little bit about myself. Well, um, I guess it really started when I was an undergrad in college, which was quite some time ago, uh, working in research laboratories, got into academic research, literally did every job you can imagine from being a research assistant to a research associate to a study coordinator, um, all while getting my master's degree and my PhD in marriage and family therapy with a specialization in medical family therapy. Um, when I was writing my dissertation, I used actually data from our research center um, and so right post-graduation, did a postdoc in geriatric psychiatry, also with UCSD. Um, so really kind of immersed myself in academic research for about, oh, I would say that was about 11 years of my career. Somewhere during my postdoc, I decided academic research was not the path for me. And I got into executive leadership and oversaw the, uh, as the director of geriatric psychiatry, a geriatric psychiatry department where at any given time we would have about 20, 20 studies going on from very small pilot studies to multi-million dollar NIH funded grants uh, and got really enamored with just like the business side of research, what helps a large center run from resourcing, staffing, training, um, operations. Um, and uh, when I decided it was time to leave academics, I was very blessed that this field of research operations was just just emerging. Um, this is about four years ago, and I found myself at service now to build our research operations practice from scratch, um, which is very very different than academics. You know, in academics you do things because that's how you've always done them. It's a it's an age old institute, and really an industry. It it, it really is starting from scratch. Like I often um, liken it to be given a plot of land, but there was no running water or electricity. It was literally just land. And so now I think we we, we may have, you know, a house uh, with, with, with walls and all of those things. So last four years, I've been focused on building our research operations practice um, consistently during that time. I've also overseen a UX research team focused on AI solutions across our portfolios. Um, 
served as interim head of our department between leaders and just about, uh, I guess, 12 weeks ago have ste stepped into a chief of staff role where I'm overseeing both operations and strategy for our organization. Awesome. So you, that, that's quite a journey. It reminds me a little bit of my, uh, you know, I started out in academic research as well. And then I took the, the step to uh, to management, but not to research. So you're you're a little bit closer to the to the field still, I guess. Uh, so so has this been a what what would you say? You you talked about that a little bit, like building it from scratch, and it's you know very different from academic research. But what are some of the kind of the challenges in the current environment? Uh, in should we call it industry as opposed to academia? I guess or or something like that, like what are some of the challenges that are unique and what are some of you think in this four-year period that this field has kind of emerged? What have been, has it been the same challenges and you've always been trying to build the same house or like, have you, have you thought you were building one house and then you started building another <laughs> house? So can you give us a little bit of a feel for, for how that journey has been? No, I think, I think that we've always been building the same house. Um, but now I think that we have more people contributing to the effort, which is really, really cool, mm. you know, just to provide a little bit of context, you know, ServiceNow's experience organization, which I'm part of, it's, it's research design product content, um, was really, really young when I joined ServiceNow. It was actually only about 18 months old. Um, before that, we were really an engineering led company. And so this idea of putting the humor, human at the center of everything that we do was not just new for our organization, it was new for the company. And so I think anytime you have this new systemic change that's happening, it takes some time to really get buy-in cross-organizationally to understand the value of this new way of working. Right. Um, and so what, what I would say is, is some of the challenges that we had four years ago were really getting buy in and demonstrating value to cross functional partners, mm -hmm. where now it almost sometimes feels like we're the coolest restaurant in town that it's hard to get a seat at. Right, right. Um, and, and so, you know, I think the challenges are a little bit different. Um, during that time, I think, um, Kind of our first positioning was research as a service mm -hmm. and i think over time we've turned into research as a partner and that the entire product team research design product content um product management engineering we're all in service of the customer right none of us are in service of each other and so i think the, i think the challenges have have changed um, from four years ago trying to demonstrate value to now, I think our biggest challenge is just the pace of everything that we do. Right. Well, that sounds like a dream, I'm sure, to a lot of people who are just starting out to build these uh, build these functions within their company. So that's that's pretty fast, also in four years. So, so how did you? I mean, that's exactly the stuff that I'm interested in in this in this podcast series. It's like, how do you make that happen? How do you get that buy-in? When you say I'm going to bundle a couple of questions here, and then you'll 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 see what you find interesting. So, so like, how do you achieve that, and what does buy-in look like? What forms does it take? Is it that like managers show up at meetings, or is it that these engineers or whoever kind of drove the effort before are showing up in research sessions, or kind of tell us a little bit about that if you don't mind? Yeah, I'm gonna write that down. Okay, so what is what is what does buy-in mean? 
Um, I, I think in the beginning, it's really about feeling like you have a seat at the table and having people want you to, to partner with them. Um, and I think that the way that you get buy-in over time is by demonstrating value to few. Um, I think once you start working closely with product management, closely with design, closely with engineering, you start supporting them in building profound empathy with users to see how these insights that you are deriving support increased adoption, accelerating time to value for your customers, your customer satisfaction. They have almost like an aha moment that they're like, oh my gosh, how did I live with this? How, how did I live before this? Like, like, why haven't we had this all along? And, you know, what's interesting is then I think they start to evangelize it more widely. You know, they start talking to their PM peers that are like, oh, my gosh, you know what I learned from research? Oh, you don't have research. And and like there starts to almost be a buzz. Um, and so I, I think by starting small, um, demonstrating value and then um, and then sharing that more broadly and broadly and broadly is really how you start to get buy in. Um, you know, I think another big piece of it. And, 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 you know, sometimes this works really great with some teams and there's some teams that, you know, still, still struggle is really understanding what do your cross-functional partners value? Mm. How do you, how do you find that out? I think really, really, really working with them, um, understanding their needs, understanding the way that they are assessed in their jobs, understanding, um, you know, what what are their timelines? What are they up against? What is kind of driving their way of being? You know, um, for for program management, is it about pushing out features, and at what cadence? So if so, you may need to change the way that you work with them to really um, have more aggressive timelines, get them insights faster. Um, come up with prioritized lists of insights so they can iterate against all of their release timelines. And so I think it's just really, really asking and honing in almost from a psychological perspective of like, what drives you? What keeps you up at night? Like, like how can I best support your success? And make it really about how do we create better experiences for our customers instead of like, how do I show you all the cool research I did? Because that might not be valuable to them. Like we researchers love data, but, you know, go go to an executive meeting and they're like, OK, can you get that in one slide? You know, right. And so really understanding your audience and what what is value for them. Right. Like meeting them where they are, basically, um, and bringing them along rather than kind of, hey, here's where I am come to me kind of thing. Absolutely. Interesting. So, so when you say, so what I'm trying to do here is something, I mean, this all makes sense to me. And, and it's, uh, uh, I hear these stories, uh, similar stories all the time. of like, this is this building these relationships and, uh, uh, and showing value and meeting people where they are and kind of being relevant to them. Uh, that's how can you, you build this, this trust. And that's how you get a seat at the table. And that's also how, um, as you mentioned, this kind of evangelism takes place, right? At some point, you, you don't even have to be there. Some other person will promote research 
within their function, so to speak. So, so that all makes sense to me. Um, for for someone who is just starting out and don't have this experience yet, but they're trying to achieve this thing that that you're talking about, um, who, when you say kind of find out them, the the, the stakeholder. Are you are you working with like a function and the head of that function? Is this like you're going to other managers or are you trying to meet people at some other level in the team? You mentioned PMs before, et cetera, like uh, or, or perhaps it doesn't matter. You just find some. Do you try to feed off momentum with some people that you just click with or like where do you start from like a social point of view in the organization? Mm, that's interesting because I think. I think it's a tough answer because I do think it depends. I think it depends on what your role is and where you're starting. Um, you know, for for me, I'm I'm working very closely with the people who are in more leadership positions, um, who are kind of making the the product decisions, the product leaders. In in an in an IC role, so I'm going to go back to when I was overseeing the UX team, the AI platform team is maybe I'm aligning with the director, the senior director, product manager, um, but really I'm facilitating my team working closely with their teams, whether it be an IC1 to an IC6 level person is really having them um, get closer to the product managers that are working either on a feature, a product, a portfolio, depending on their level, um, and helping them to make the connections with those folks. Um, I also, I think it's really important to pair researchers together um, wherever possible. And so on my team, I had a lot of my more senior folks um, partnered with my early in career folks so they could work on things together. And so that more senior person may have been working really at that portfolio level, like what is the roadmap? What are we doing over three releases? Like how are we driving this portfolio strategy while helping the early in career person to be maybe working on the things that are more um, feature driven, like Maybe this is a validation of some features that we are we are taking out in the next release. Um, maybe it is doing some user interviews or some concept testing. And so I think having that internal partnership between people in the same function is really important. And then I think from a, a managerial perspective, it's important to help your researchers really make the connections they need to throughout the org, whether that be with their design partner, um, the product manager, making sure that we're, you know, bringing in engineering where appropriate. Um, so I think, I think there's, depending on where you are in your career journey, I think you have different roles in helping to support these connections. Right. So it's, it's happening at pretty much all levels at the same time, but you as a manager, you have your own contacts. If I'm so, so uh, this is what I'm hearing, right? So tell me if I got this wrong you have your contacts with other managers where you're discussing, you know, like the value of you're trying to figure out what your team can provide to the organization, et cetera. But you're also putting your research team in direct contact with, with other, uh, you know, people on the product team, for example. That's right. And wherever possible, I'm bringing the researchers along on the journey too. Like I'm not the person that's reading out their research at that final, you know, checkpoint to the, the, to my peers, the director, senior director people, like 
they they're the people that are sharing this because at that point they're the experts like i have a 10,000 foot view of everything so i think it's really empowering them to pull the chair back and take that seat at the table at that point okay interesting so i have a this might be hard to to answer but no pressure this is well, let's see what comes out of it um if I see a lot of research teams that don't have the luxury of having like even a research ops person. And perhaps they're, they're a small team starting out, they're expected to do all of these things. So if, if you're a researcher in an organization like this and you're trying to achieve this and you don't have the support of someone like you who is trying to facilitate all of these things, like is that, is that doable? If so, kind of what would be some advice, some things to watch out for? uh you know to, to kind of over is it possible to even overcome that or, or is this something that where you need all of this support in the organization no i mean i think i think it is possible to overcome it i think maybe that the pace might be a little bit different what i would say is start to build those connections of the people who are working on the products that you're working on who are those folks um, whether they be PMs, engineering, design, like make those connections, um, have a growth mindset, be curious, try to learn from them. Like, where are they trying to go with this? What are they trying to do? Um, what, how would they best feel supported by a research person or a researcher? Um, so I think it's really about creating those connections. And then I also think it's about really going and educating yourself you know, understanding the competitive landscape, who else is doing this well? Um, where can you get information from analyst firms like Forrester, Gartner, or even like just through a Google search, like who else is playing in this space? What are they doing well? What aren't they doing well? Um, where you can, like understanding the customer, you know, whether it be um, through interviews, surveys, any, any means you can uh, to get to the customer and bring those insights back to those people the product manager, the designer, whoever your product team is, because like your number one job as a researcher is to be the voice of the customer in the room. And so automatically, if you can start to bring in that voice, if you can share the competitive landscape, if you can talk about what the customers need, who are they? What are their needs? What are their pain points? What are they looking for us to provide? Like that automatically will start to create value for that product team. And so I would start small and just do whatever you can to answer some of those foundational questions and then bring that back to the team. Right. So I've seen, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, I've seen kind of a, uh, and I'd be interested to see from your experience, like if you've seen the same thing, but something I've seen when I talk to researchers is that it can be hard to both be the voice of the customer, which is like, you're really trying, that's hard just to understand how am I the, the voice of the customer and what does the customer need and all that stuff. Uh, and at the same time, adapting to the, the pace and the needs and the value creation of the rest of the, of the product organization, for example, because they might be, you know, uh, need to cut some corners or like they have deadlines, etc. So have you seen this conflict and what's your advice to, to someone trying to navigate that, uh, that conflict? I mean, I, I think that's a constant conflict. Um, you know, whether, whether you're in a startup or, or even a company, company like ours, that's, that's rapid growth, like the, the pace of 
of product seems like it always outpaces the, the pace of research. Um, it's just, they're like, move faster. We're like, we can't. Uh, I, I mean, I think that the thing, the things that we've learned over time is like, don't wait for a polished report to share with people. Don't wait till the end of research to share with people. Um, we've, we have, have tackled this a number of different ways. Um, Number one, like after a customer visit, we'll do like a one pager and we'll share that back with the team. Um, we will, you know, have just 15 minute standups once a week to just talk about like, hey, this is what we learned this week. Um, we, you know, also finding time for meetings for everyone can be really difficult. Um, so one of the researchers on my team would do a like two minute recap video of the highlights and lowlights of a meeting for people to watch. And so I think I think giving people little nuggets along the way is incredibly helpful to keep them along in the journey um, instead of waiting a month, two months, three months until the research is done, packaged and pretty. Like they don't care. They just they just want to know what they need to do, know right now. Um, you know, the other thing is making the research accessible to everyone on the team as much as possible. Um, you know, whether it's inviting them to your research sessions, um, we're instituting something right now called uh, research ride-alongs, where anybody at any level in our company can sign up to join research sessions and just hear, you know, from the customer in that moment about this thing, whatever it might be, product X. Um, and so, so I think it's just making research as accessible as possible, and then like like feeding people on drip instead of trying to like get to the end of your research before sharing. Right. So, so yes, I, I mean, this is what we see in our research too. I mean, this is one of the, uh, uh, the clear benefits of having these ride alongs, like just having people in the sessions and seeing things and getting engaged that actually increases the number of people that will read that report when it, when it's ready two months later, you know, because they've kind of, they have an emotional attachment to the, to the research that's been done and they've built some trust with the team that's doing the research because they've seen that this is hard, et cetera. So, so I can totally see that, but, but can you tell us a little bit more about like, why do people not care about a research report that kind of is too polished that has been waiting too long? Um, do you think? Oh, I don't know if it's that they don't, I don't, I don't think that it's that they don't care. I, I think that it's really about it's I think it's really about the bottom line. I think this goes back to kind of the value for every person. You know, like I think that people think data is interesting. I don't think anybody thinks data is interesting as researchers do. But really, you know, for for the PM, really I think what they care about is what should we do? Just tell us what do give me that prioritized list of like what we need to burn down what we need to do to create the best product possible um your design partner they care about that too but they actually might also want like a screen by screen if you're doing concept testing usability testing so they can really see from like visual aspects interaction aspects content aspects like what do we need to do 
engineering might care more about like those technical specs like okay like from a, like is this technically feasible to do what we need to do and what do we need to do first and so i think when you're i think often when you're trying to share out to the entire product team like number one you, you don't need to justify to them that this research is important they know they, like they're ready okay give it to us and then i think it's just different levels of different needs from different people that we're trying to kind of bundle together into one piece of work and so i think if you can really just share across your journey what every person on your team needs it has as much value as that final product deck right and and i and i guess it also this is just a spontaneous thought when you say that i've been thinking a lot about like design tools too and and figma and stuff like that i mean all of these tools that invite all of the other stakeholders early it just creates this dynamic also of the small these small little oh explain this to me that doesn't make sense okay right we're thinking about this slightly in the wrong way it's a different kind of theme i you know you almost got the theme right but this is more the theme and and what tends to happen i think I'm not sure about this, is that once you get to the, if you don't have that kind of check-in continuously, you will get kind of too far away from, from what's still relevant. So you come up with a report that might even have the wrong uh, categorization, the wrong themes, the wrong kind of, it's no longer relevant because the, the world has moved. Whereas if you have this kind of constant back and forth, you you course correct and your final report will be, more relevant. I don't know if that's something you've seen too, but that's definitely something I we I 100% agree with that. And I think that that closeness with the product team throughout is so important because like, unfortunately, priorities change, you know, and cut lines move. And so I think also understanding like what, what we can still do within one, two releases is really important because otherwise you might be sharing things that then they're like, oh yeah, no, we can't get to that. That's not a priority anymore. And then it becomes almost demoralizing for the researcher because they're like, but I just spent all this time <laughs> on this artifact, essentially. <laughs> and now you're telling me it's not important anymore. And so I, I think this is where the, that that collaboration throughout is really important. It's funny that you bring up Figma, but I think this is true with any tool. We use Figma. Um, we use Miro for these types of exercises, too, is really just like having a collaboration space throughout. Like we actually have researchers now that do everything in Figma. They even do their final slides for that final presentation in Figma. Like they live there that's where design lives and the, that's where product managers are willing to go um, or it may be you know an elaborate Miro board that like essentially culminates into some final documentation but it's not there's not a disconnection between day one and this final documentation right yeah oh I totally see this and I, I love this this thing you're pointing out about the motivational aspects of this I mean I've seen that so many times with uh, you know, especially junior researchers starting out, they get this project, they go away and they do the project and then they present and it's no longer relevant. And that's like, that's the worst feeling. And it's only because there was no check-in along the line, you know, so it's such a wasted um, momentum, I guess. Um, oh, interesting. Um, I had a question there about the the, the Figma stuff. So, yeah, I wonder if this is where, you know, when I was I was when I was starting out in this field, I remember I went to like a huge 
research lab facility. I'm not going to say which one, but basically it had all of those mirrors where people could sit behind the glass and all that stuff. And, and it was pretty empty. No, no one was there. Right. And I was like, well, you know, what, what, uh, you, you know, where is everyone? And then someone said, well, you know, engineers don't care about research, so they never show up, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, and we started thinking about that and we're like, well, you know, we have to just say, it's all about that. The workflows have to kind of, um, join up and kind of work together in an, you can't just go away and do your thing and then come back and present it and then, you know, hope for it. But I think what you're saying now, basically with the Figma is that the way that we, the way that we do the, that your researchers now do this in Figma, this is not unique to research. This is actually like if designers don't work like this with developers, they won't have a good collaboration on product either. Because sometimes as a researcher, it can feel like everyone else is getting along, you know, like they're loving each other and they're having a good time and they're listening to each other. And then we're kind of sitting on the outside. But I think that even designers have had that kind of, uh, and, and it's all about like aligning those workflows into like true collaboration that is very, nitty gritty. I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of spinning here, but what, what do you think about that? No, that sounds accurate. Like I think both design and research have, have kind of often been met with some resistance from product management and engineering. I almost feel like our two disciplines are closer and those two disciplines are closer because I think that we all kind of rely on each other in these little pods. And so I think bringing together all four of these aspects becomes really, really important. Um, and, you know, I think engineering is often a very underutilized partner and really we need to hear from them. What is actually possible based on the components that they have, the experience components that they have, what is already built? Um, because if you bring engineering in too late to the game, you know, they may be like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa great ideas. But like that's that's actually not feasible uh, in the next one to two releases because we don't have these foundational pieces. And so um, I think just finding a way to bring everybody together into one canvas becomes really, really, really powerful. And it almost becomes a conversation piece in that that's a kind of an artifact that you're working on together. Mm. Right. Yeah, no, I love it. So, and it's, it's all of us because I think lining these up as kind of separate discussions also will create this thing. So like, if you talk to engineering early, uh, you will get along and everything will be tech checked and everything. And then you bring in, you know, uh, product management and then they're like, no, these were not the business goals. And then you bring in. So it's all about like coming together, I guess, uh, <laughs> all of us at the same time. That sounds That's cumbersome. A little... but I... It's Sorry, a little playing that game of telephone. Yeah. I said it's a little bit of playing that game of telephone, too. You know, if if product management and engineering is talking and then we're getting fed back information. Like we at that point actually don't even know what's driving that decision. And so that, that becomes very, very confusing to, to, regardless of your discipline is like really understanding, like where was that decision made? Um, where was I when that decision was made? Like, am, am I not a partner in this? Now I'm just being told what to do. Um, and then I think almost, you know, relationally, maybe some like resentment can start to to form too when there's this disconnection in communication. Mm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that that's, um, that's such an interesting thing. When, when these things work, people get very uh, they see how good everyone around the table is and how hard product is and like how we need all of these perspectives. But when we sit apart, we're like, why did they do that? Why didn't they care about my perspective? Why didn't they? So it's all this kind of social 
social game. That's, right. <laughs> That's exactly it. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. I passed it. <laughs> that must be so interesting with your psychology background, right? And kind of family stuff. It's almost like, do you see some parallels there with dysfunctional families and <laughs> product teams? And... I mean, just the people, the way that people work is, mm -hmm. is helpful in all aspects of uh, probably any career, but this this career, especially when you're working with people cross-functionally with all kinds of different backgrounds, but you're also in service of the customer. And so like understanding people becomes really, really important at every level. Yeah. And it's not going to get less complex over time. I mean, I think the days when we could just sit in our silos and build great product, those are those days are over, I would say. No, that's not a thing. You you will not exist as a company in in yeah. five to ten years if you if you build products that way. Period. Awesome. Uh, oh, this was so interesting. Thank you so much. So I just kind of went with what I thought was super important here. But if we take a step back, and uh, and we think about the original question, which is about this, like how do you bring people along on the research and uh, research journey, etc. Is there anything that kind of you've seen in your career any any advice that you would like to give to people who are trying to make this happen that we haven't covered in this in this talk anything that comes to mind yeah i think there's there's probably two things like i think trying to always assume the best intent from everyone you know i think when we work with people from different disciplines different backgrounds different experiences than us um, sometimes we see them as, you know, trying to drive their own initiative or not caring or those types of things. Like, I think if you see everyone really trying to do the best that they can and bring what they can to the table, like it just makes for better working relationships. And then I think also is understanding that we all kind of do speak different languages. And so like to do our, our best to try to understand the language of the other people, that we're working with. I, I think of it like almost like when you go to, to a foreign country and like you even try to speak, you know, Spanish, French, whatever it is, like people get excited. They want to help you. They're like, oh, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to teach you some French. You know, I just had that happen in Paris like a couple months ago. And so I think that's true too, like cross, cross organizationally, cross discipline is like trying to understand what, what your PM and engineering partners are saying, getting interested in the technicalities or the, the, the technical aspects, like it gets them excited to want to work with you, to teach you, grow you and, and more likely to um, want to absorb what you're bringing to the table as well. Oh, I love it. So so I have a question now for research. My final, my final question, because we're running out of time, unfortunately. Um, final, final, <laughs> final, final. I know. I'm gonna. We're gonna keep going. Final, final. So, because research ops, as you say, it's it's a fairly new uh, discipline. Although I'm sure it's 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 been a while, it's been around for a while under some other name or something. But basically, you're supporting researchers in doing their research, right? And often we think about that. I think when I talk to people, anyway, that. You know, you're procuring some tools, you're getting a budget, you're hiring, you know, you're doing all the processes and everything. But uh, it sounds to me from this conversation that perhaps this is a huge future of research ops, just like the social support of making engagement happen happening and kind of supporting the research teams in, uh, in building these relationships and everything, because you're kind of you're in a position to support that, I would say, because you're outside of this conflict of having to kind of deliver work 
and meet people where they are and everything. So that was kind of just hit me now. There's this super exciting uh, social uh, engineering future or whatever you want to call it for for research ops. I don't know if that's uh, true, but it struck me anyway from this conversation. No, I think that probably is, is true. I think that is probably true. Um, just because when I think about like what enablement really means, I mean, social enablement is a big piece of that. And, you know, one of the initiatives that we have as a leadership team, even this year is how to create closer collaboration, you know, cross organizationally. And so, you know, that can be, you know, as, as logistical, as you know, having milestone check-ins, but it can also be you know helping people through kind of some of these situations, really working through how to work more closely with their cross-functional partners and how to really like create impact through their work. So, yes, I think I think that is a, a broad area for research operations that we're excited to step into. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. We have to stop there, but uh, thank you so much for being here. Uh, do you have any uh, social uh, handles and stuff that you would like to share if people want to kind of reach out or read some of the work you're doing? I mean, I have I have a pretty robust LinkedIn, but that's about it. Just Abra Martin, um, where I have some other podcasts, presentations that I've given, etc. Awesome. Great. Well, thanks for being here. And uh, for the audience, thanks for listening in and for following the UX Research Rundown uh, podcast for more content like this. And uh, yeah, see you around. Be kind. Expect, uh, you know, assume that people are doing it for the best intention and trying as best as they can. And happy researching. Bye. Bye.